Hi there. We're here today with Spencer Kaiser, who works for American Airlines and has been talking lately about their inner source practice and what they, you know, how they got into it, where they're at, where they're going. And so we're looking forward to talking to him today for the Near Form Inner Source podcast. So, um, hi, Spencer. Hi, Denise. Thank you for having me. Hey, no problem. I really liked your talk, which is why we asked you to do this. Um, so, first of all, tell me a little bit about what drew you to the idea of internal collaboration and teaching InterSource inside of a company. Sure. So, um, first off, I wasn't the first one to come up with the idea. There were I definitely had some some coworkers that had brought up um, InterSource at American, but we hadn't really kind of kicked it off yet. Um, but for me personally, it was it was kind of a really um, exciting opportunity because back in my my past kind of life as a uh, as somebody who worked in marketing, um, there was a lot of things that uh, I loved doing, but there was a lot of things that I was doing every single day that was sort of reinventing the wheel. And so the whole idea of InterSource is, is fixing that that duplication and, and, and sort of um, finding a way to collaborate across boundaries and, and work on the same stuff collaboratively as opposed to everyone building their own thing. Um, so when I had sort of heard about the idea of InterSource, and I saw obviously the, the clear benefit of doing that, um, a couple of coworkers and I came together and we decided to to kind of kick that off and, and get it going. Cool. That's excellent. Um, and how did you hear about it? Just out of curiosity. So actually, one of my coworkers was the, was the first one to introduce me to the idea. Um, so he had kind of um, mentioned that it was something that was interesting. And we, we first called it um, internal open source because we hadn't heard of the actual phrasing of InterSource. Um, so that was just something that had popped up, and um, we had some discussions about it, and it was a very interesting idea for us. Cool. Yeah, I, I'm always curious how people are hearing about it because we're not really working very hard to market it, aside from you know we volunteer our time to speak about it. But um, it's not. We certainly could be working harder to market it. But I, my sense was that it needed to grow organically to a critical point before we started being really loud about it. Exactly. You know? So, um, okay, great. And uh, so let's talk a little bit about um, American Airlines and their use of tech sort of generally. I mean, this is an airline, um, but you do have programmers. How many programmers do you guys have and what kinds of stuff do they write? So I don't have exact numbers on, on our developer count, but we have um, typically, I think, 3,500, somewhere in that ballpark of, of our IT folks. Um, at least that's what we uh, we have in our GitHub Enterprise account. So that's kind of a, a good um, a good way for me to get those metrics. Yeah, that's a good measure. Um, sure. We work on just about everything. So we have um, we have teams that work on our, our native iOS and, and the Android apps. Um, we have lots of backend teams building um, backend services for our, our apps, for our .com, um, for our kiosks, which actually are the physical um, boxes in the airports. Um, a lot of our teams are doing some really cool things with Angular and React, and um, we're experimenting with Node.js and TypeScript as some of our, our backend alternatives. But um, we do just about everything. Cool. All right. And so you said that when you were a marketeer, you felt like you were reinventing the wheel every day. Um, a lot of older engineering practices have that same characteristic. Did you see much of that at American? Yeah. So I think with any with any kind of enterprise, especially ones that have existed for as long as we have, um, you just over time get to a point where a lot of your teams will silo themselves off and um, it's it's just easier to collaborate, you know, with a small group as opposed to um, trying to either share knowledge across an organization or 
um, work with those teams to find out what they're building and how they're building it and what they've done in the past. Um, so there, there's definitely some some silos and some um, some groups that are that are you know working very efficiently, but they they could be sharing their information. So we have a lot of teams that are um, building the same types of things um, kind of over and over again. Yeah. Do you have any any part of your organization that's focusing on full stack knowledge? Yeah. So we have we have some teams that are that are focusing on just purely um, kind of how can we share or how can we share knowledge better. Um, so the same the same coworker um, who, had, who had sort of introduced me to InnerSource was um, was also responsible for creating a new community that focuses on just sharing knowledge, um, sharing you know both the the information about uh, what tools we're using, how we're doing them, patterns. Um, actually, a lot of the same kind of components of what the inner source commons does, which is cool. Yeah, that is cool. That's, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that those seeds, you know, are, are sort of spreading throughout engineering. Um, I think, you know, that I'm in it to try to lift the practice of engineering so that more engineers get to work the way that we work in open source, because it's so much more rewarding <laughs> fundamentally. Yeah. Right. Um, but also it's, it's better for the organization if more people have the knowledge instead of just a few people. Uh, okay, so you um, were telling me before that the organization of the company, there's a separation between um, the business and the IT side of things, um, and that, that seeking prioritization isn't so easy. So you want to talk about that for a little while? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so we, we most definitely have two um, two different groups. You know, One is, is focused on um, what what our customers will get the most value from, um, what's obviously going to make us revenue, those types of things. And so they they have to prioritize, um, you know, what makes sense from a business, from an operating perspective. And then we have our RT teams that are responsible for for what we're actually building, how we actually build them, what technologies we use, you know, all that all that jazz. Um, so the whole concept of InnerSource has been, at least in the initial days, um, has been that's been one of our challenges for sure is trying to prioritize intersourcing projects. Um, so obviously a lot of our leadership sees the value in intersource and um, they, they definitely understand how it can improve you know, what we do on a daily basis. Um, but actually setting aside time to go and do that has been sort of you know, hard for us. So um, as our intersource communities mature, we're getting better about that. And so a lot of our, our teams are starting to actually be, um, you know, they're being assertive and actually making, making sure that intersource is just part of the way that we deliver as opposed to just like a, a nice to have that they'll, they'll tackle if they have time. Nice. Yeah, we have, um, I run around advocating that people put 10% of their engineering into trusted committership, which is not an engineering or not, not a coding role. It's a code review and mentoring role. Um, but yep. I only really think that's a good idea in, in shops that are agile or have their work organized in short bursts so that you can circulate that that responsibility to different members of the team so people don't get stuck not coding for long periods of time. Right. And, yep. and you still, you know, the, the cost of taking somebody off the production line, um, unless you have a, a known quality problem is hard to sell. But if there is a known quality problem, it's super easy to sell because you can guarantee them, you know, improvement, right? That's one, that's one study that's pretty much been done. Did you see that at, at American? You know, I think that the bigger thing for us is more, um, you know, if, if our teams are, are doing very similar things, let's so just say as a, as a very broad um, example, that teams need to get details of a reservation for somebody, right? Um, that, that's a very frequent thing. And we, we will very frequently need that information as part of our many different flows. Um, teams will go out and build a, you know, some sort of service that gets that information for them. And that, that happens all the time where teams will, will build new ones. Um, so obviously from a business perspective, like the, the potential gains from that 
are are pretty you know pretty crazy to think about like a, a team building that is going to take you know potentially weeks of development time um whereas that may already exist with an error source so that's sort of what we're, we're hoping to go towards that where um you know teams either have a a place they can search and find projects and see what's already been done um or at the very least they have a community they can reach out to and, and find that information easily yeah so let's talk about your setup do you guys use um what do you use for code management and is code visible across the company yeah, so we um, primarily we use GitHub Enterprise, um, and that's obviously GitHub was kind of the birth of open source. So it's a great, um, it's a great thing for us to have for inner source. Um, we also do some Azure DevOps with a lot of our teams that are um, that have been in that kind of ecosystem for a while. So the, the GitHub Enterprise is what we use for for inner source. Um, so within within that, obviously we have um, like a GitHub Pages site that has all of our um, information about what our community is about, what we look for, kind of our our policy and um, and what we kind of expect from projects. Um, and then we also have a really strong Slack community. So um, within our, our American Airlines Slack workspace, um, we have a channel dedicated to InnerSource, which has over 700 people, which is one of our larger channels. Um, and it's a very active community, which is awesome. Now, we haven't really done too much to, to market um, you know, InnerSource within American, um, with the exception of we had one, one kind of DevOps event internally that we announced at, and um, we got a lot of buzz around that. But other than that, it's been almost entirely organically through, um, through Slack, which has been awesome. Yeah, that's fabulous to hear. That's really good. Um, of course, Slack and GitHub and um, some other big players, Stack Overflow and GitLab, of course, have been big members of the InnerSource Commons community too. So, um, okay. And are you an Agile shop? Do you guys work in short sprints or? Yeah, no, we we we're definitely an Agile shop. Um, you know, obviously, they're the kind of the running joke is that everyone has their own their own version of Agile, and we definitely do. Um, but yeah, we we typically work in you know two week sprints, and all of our teams have um, you know, patterns for for how they how they work most efficiently. But we're we're most definitely an Agile shop. Cool. Yeah, I like to I like to joke about Agile because most of the older companies that I know <laughs> they just can't give up that central planning idea. That you know, the whole idea that you're making little startups in your company is is a step too far. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So now we talked about the prioritization um, as one of your challenges. Um, let's talk about some others. Like, like you just said that you haven't marketed it at all. So how do people find out how to do InterSource? Do they just hang out on the Slack channel and ask questions, or, or do you have a wiki somewhere? How do you do that? So we um we do have like a, a GitHub Pages site, which is a like, kind of like a standalone website that's protected. Um, behind SSO, like the rest of our, our GitHub Enterprise um, kind of, you know, services. Um, and within that site, we have everything about, you know, what kind of like a little snippet about what InnerSource is. Um, we have information about how to find projects. We have information about how to InnerSource an actual project. Um, and so within each of those kind of categories, we have little to-dos and FAQs. And um, basically what we designed it to be is the kind of the one-stop shop for everything InnerSource. So and anyone that wants to be a part of the community, um, that's kind of their starting point. Um, after after visiting um, with you know all of you guys at the, the InnerSource Commons event in Baltimore, um, we are definitely going to kind of rebuild that and, and focus on uh, making things more discoverable and hopefully making things easier to find. Um, but that's been that's been very helpful for us so far. Cool, excellent. And um, then, how do you so for scaling understanding? That means you have to sell it to executives in addition to the actual engineers that are going to be involved and maybe also to some people involved in prioritizing products. So how do you get those other two groups involved? 
So from just the leadership perspective, our leaders are amazing. They they absolutely um, take the time to understand the little things that impact day to day as opposed to just the big picture stuff. Um, and they, you know, almost across the board, they all see the benefit of Intersource. Um, they see the the uh, the benefit in, in sharing not only knowledge, but also resources that have been created by teams. So they've, they've been pushing for that, you know, since we first went to them and said, hey, we'd like to do this. Um, from the business side, they understand the value too, but obviously they have um, they have a very hard uh, kind of job to prioritize and position our certain products and the way that we actually um, deliver and, and what we deliver. So um, they're starting to see the benefit more and more, and they're um, they're starting to prioritize that. But it's it's taking time. So um, we've kind of knocked out the um, leadership of saying go do this, but we haven't gotten uh, kind of a full solution to let's do this for this project and make sure this gets done. Sure. Um, we have some some big plans for 2020, so hopefully we'll uh, we'll be able to get that something. Or get that to be a little more ironed out and a little more uh, easy for our teams to to actually go and implement, but um, but we haven't gotten there just yet. Sure. Now, now, so leadership is backing the spend. Now it sounds like that probably means there are OKRs or KPIs or something that they're looking at to see if they get what they wanted out of the spend. What are you tracking for them? What do you report back to them? So that's actually a really hard um, problem to solve, and we, you know there was there was a lot of different talks at the. Um, the InterSource Commons event, which were amazing, and they gave me a ton of ideas. But um, it's really, it's really challenging for us to measure um, kind of what is going on there and, and derive like a you know a value or an ROI from InterSource. Um, what we're what we're hoping for long term is to um, is to be able to use some of our our internal data, like our um, you know our Active Directory, for example, and try to figure out when teams are actually collaborating across organizational boundaries. We want to be able to get that data. Um, we're definitely not there yet. And we, you know, I saw a handful of really cool tools that, that will help that process, but, um, we don't, we don't have a full solution for that just yet. But the, the long term is that we want to see teams, you know, you know, from different parts of the organization that, that aren't working together, work together through, um, through our repos and GitHub and, and be able to, um, actually see that collaboration through like a, a digital footprint, I guess. Yeah, I would like to see that as well. And um, I've been talking lately to some American universities that have interest in in doing some research. We we have some here in Ireland, and there's some good ones in Germany as well. But um, since you're domestic American airline, I imagine you would prefer to use American ones. So we'll talk about that offline if you'd like. <laughs> but I think that's going to be the way that we actually get you know the information. I mean, what I've been doing is kind of copying what happened in the rise of open source and trying to compress the time it takes because I don't have another 20 years <laughs> to get this off the ground. But also... Do. Now that open source has done so well, uh, it's you know it makes it a little bit easier for us. We don't have to debunk the myth that open source isn't real and all that stuff. Um, but but uh, anyway, one of the things that was really helpful in the early days of open source was having you know good research um, conducted by academics that that proved some of what people were questioning. It was a really common question was why would people work this way? And, you know, there was a famous study done um, through MIT Sloan School of Economics about this sort of the economics of open source Krim Lakhani did that was really helpful to us. And there's some other ones like that that we sort of helped, you know, made as much information available as possible. So I'm looking for some pairings between companies and research institutions that get at some questions. So anyway, we'll talk more about that offline. But um, sure. meanwhile, um, let's talk about how you determine whether a team is ready for intersource inside of American. 
That is a great question. Um, so we we currently have um, in that that pages site um, we have a whole a whole section dedicated to what we call our inner source policy, um, and sort of what that is is just a guideline for what kind of the bare minimum we expect from our teams before they inner source a project, um, and that sort of follows kind of the footprint of any good open source project. So everything from good documentation to having a CI CD pipeline, or at least you know the CI component, um, having good test coverage, um, and having you know obviously all of that sort of um, I, I mentioned good documentation, but having all of that kind of in one central location. Um, so for those projects, we expect the, um, you know, obviously there's a funded project. We, a lot of times we'll use um, external tools for tracking um, what features we're going to implement and when we're going to implement them. But for the ones that are kind of the, the fringe ones, we ask if they exist in GitHub as issues. Um, that way the, the full kind of, um, the future of the project is kind of tracked and it's visible. Um, so we, we kind of have all that stuff set aside and we even talk about like licensing and, and um, you know, it makes sure that if we're using some sort of open source project as part of the solution, we attribute things correctly, um, all that stuff. But that whole policy is sort of set up in a way where it's, it's an easy to follow process and we have um, kind of points for any, any of those that can reach out and get help from the community and, and kind of work towards those. Great. That's fabulous. So um, one of the things that I advocate is sort of pre-negotiating some working agreements because people have fears, mm -hmm. right? Um, especially since they're going to be giving away a little bit of their productive time to get this off the ground. Once it's up and running, it doesn't feel that way anymore. But at the first, it feels like a big interruption, you know, and that first round of mentorship is there is a cost to that to collecting that mentorship. So when, when I talk about that, um, we start out with a contributing MD file that is sort of that memorializes those agreements. So for example, um, PayPal doesn't allow much change to enter its system between um, like maybe the beginning of this month and you know, the middle of January. And that's because so much of the money that's transacted in their system happens over the Christmas season. So they don't want to destabilize unless, I mean, the only thing they check in really is bug fixes at that point. Right. And yeah. we have a very similar flow during summer because that's our, our peak travel time. Sure. So there, that sort of moratorium on change means that the fear of the silos that a contributor is going to give them something that breaks and they won't know that it's going to break until they actually deploy it, which might be a few months after it gets, you know, merged, right? Um, we, we memorialize that in the, that contributors understand that, uh, you know, they're on the hook for 30 days after deploy, not after merge, right? Um, and that assuages the fears of the, of the silo people that they're going to end up, you know, having a terrible time. And likewise, the people on the contributing end feel like they're going to send a pull request and hear nothing back. So there's an SLA on the part of the the silo that they'll be, you know, returning a comment within I think it's 36 um, working hours. So right. Yeah. So that was actually something. Um, we, you know, during during the first, you know uh, comments event, um, we had talked a lot about all those different things. And, and part of what our policy is is making sure we utilize all those good um, GitHub template files, like the you know obviously the contributing MD file, and then the um, issue and pull request templates to kind of make that whole process easier. Um, we hadn't really gotten even close to what was kind of discussed during the event in terms of our, our SLA and the um, kind of the expectations. Like we laid out like, here's how you should contribute. Here's what you should do. Here's the process, but not like the, here's what to expect from our end and what we expect from your end. And so that was 
out of all of the amazing things we learned at that event, like there were there were two or three huge takeaways, and that was one of them. Oh, cool. So we're we're definitely working towards. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was a big one for us because um, that, like you said, it really adds that transparency and really helps our our, I guess the business folks and you know whoever else kind of see that this this is a a. a kind of like a well thought out process and there's, there's low risk and, and a lot to gain from it. So um, it's definitely something that, that we, we need to tackle in 2020. Yeah, it really, it, it assuages fears that are founded in, in sort of old information, you know, and, and you can't, there's no way to just tell people you have to do this. You have to address them where they're at is what we found. But um, let's, Let's talk for a second about the Intersource Commons because we've mentioned it a few times and we haven't really talked about what it is. And if somebody stumbles on this as their first podcast, yeah. then they're going to want to know. So why don't you say yeah. what it is? Because I, of course, get to say yeah. that all the time. So it's, I mean, from at least my experience, it's a very, um, very like-minded group of individuals that are trying to push for for Intersource within their, their own companies. And from what I saw, it was a huge... Um, kind of diversity of, of different types of companies, different sizes of companies. There were a handful of startups with, you know, 10 people. And there were a large, a large group of, of massive companies like American Airlines and Nike and obviously PayPal and, you know, everyone else. But um, I, I was, I was, you know, shocked, I guess, when I, when I first arrived, it was a very, you know, it's a smaller size group, but I have never been um, to an event like that where people were as engaged. Like it seemed like 85% of the, the audience was like actively participating in the discussions. And that was like one of the coolest aspects of it. But, um, during that event, I was like, I was taking notes. Like I couldn't, I could barely, you know, keep track of what was taking place on stage as I was trying to write, you know, write notes down so fast. Um, I came back with, you know, this, this whole massive document of like to do items for, um, for us and our community for, for making things better for the future. So, um, that's kind of my, you know, thirty second synopsis. But that's great. Now, yeah. do you spend any time on the on intersourcecommons.org on the website? We are definitely trying to more and more. Um, yeah, it, it, so the Slack channel definitely, but um, I'm not I'm not as active recently. I've only part of what I do is is um, is focusing on intersource. I'm trying to prioritize it more for um, for the next year, and I think I'll, I should be able to. Um, but the intersource commons is something at least from the you know the website component. Um, something that, that came up and, um, was something that was incredibly interesting to me, but we didn't, we didn't dive in as much as we should have. Um, now, obviously I see that the, the true value is all of the, um, the amazing lessons learned and everything else that's, that's so well-documented and, and set aside. So, um, we are absolutely using a lot of the things on there from, um, all the, the patterns to the, um, you know, the, the, the learning path documentation for, for teaching people how to, um, how to effectively intersource, and we're using a lot of that for our our plans for 2020. Oh, that's great! Well, that's why we that's why we did it, <laughs> right? Once again, trying to accelerate <laughs> well, adoption of this thing is about um, opening it as widely as possible to collaboration. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, it took me some time to convince my corporate masters that that was the way to go, but they did get there. So, um, okay, cool. Now. Now, uh, what else do you guys do to get them ready? Is there a training that you conduct or is there, is there some way that they, aside from reading your, your pages and, um, you know, getting started, do they, do you, does your office spend time intermediating when there are just disputes or discomforts or any of that? 
So I think um, one of the bigger things for us that's been really helpful is we have um, what we call inner source workshops, and that's kind of one of our bigger hooks for getting people into the community. Um, so people may see inner source floating around, they may see that website pop up, um, but they may not have all they need to really jump in and be involved. And so um, these workshops are just kind of little, um, you know, two hour long things that take place at 5 p.m. Um, we have some snacks and we have free drinks for everyone. And it's it's typically just kind of a very relaxed, um, you know, come and learn about XYZ thing. We talked about some of our, our more exciting projects internally, like our, our bot that ran our full employee hackathon this last year. Um, we've gone over everything from the GitHub API to the Slack, you know, Slack API to um, learning about some really cool computer vision stuff. And so those workshops are kind of a fun way to come and meet people from the community, ask questions and sort of um, get a better feel for it. So that's been what I'd call one of our bigger hooks for, for getting people engaged. Um, people will typically come out, they'll meet people, they'll socialize from, you know, with the community and get to ask questions. And um, we've had a really great um, kind of turnout from those. And that's been hugely successful for getting people interested in the resource. Great. All right. So now let's talk about the future because you're in a present state that's pretty good, but you probably still um, still building momentum inside the company, like not all 3,500 engineers <laughs> are doing it, right? Yeah, we still definitely have a long ways to go. So our, our future roadmap is, is pretty, uh, pretty hefty. Cool. All right. So you said that prioritization is getting easier now, um, getting, getting uh, the, the spend backed and all that stuff. Um, so tell me what else, you're, what else is on your plate for your scale out besides finding the money? Yeah, so along with getting a little more um, kind of backing and prioritization, we have a little more trust now where people people do see the benefit and they, they do want to make it a bigger part of what we do. Um, probably the biggest change for us going forward is we're kind of, we're, we historically had a small group of what we call inner source coordinators. Um, that's just, right now it's four of us that, um, it's the, the other three are amazing people and they, they put in a ton of work um, trying to grow the, the, the community, but we need more help. Um, whether it's from the maintainer perspective or the logistics perspective or, or trying to grow the community, um, we need more help. And so what we're going to go uh, go to our leaders for and basically ask for um, is a little more kind of um, support from them in, in the sense that we want them to nominate um, a, a different pattern, which is inner source champions, which is something I learned about at the, the commons yeah. event. Um, so we want to we switch over to this whole inner source champions kind of group, and we want to essentially have different people from different orgs representing not only their individual team, but the teams around them and help try to push intersource uh, amongst those teams. And so one of the, the the kind of benefits of taking on that role is we're asking leadership to set aside eight hours per month, which, you know, ideally long-term would be, you know, four hours a week kind of thing, but um, stepping stones. So uh, eight hours a week, um, I'm sorry, eight hours a month to put towards intersource. So that means either taking an existing project and then helping transition that to intersource or, um, helping the other champions with with creating tooling or you know working with logistics or growing the community, whatever it is, um, just giving them time to to actually expand and grow intersource with an American. Um, we're we're also looking looking at it uh, and making our our event kind of um, our different uh, you know workshops and stuff internally more more engaging. Um, we want to make sure we're doing them more consistently. Um, and we also want to cover some some more exciting things. Um, someone from from Nike actually at the Commons event, um, who I know you're you're very familiar with, he had given me um, kind of a really cool idea of this this meetup style event, which is much less structured, much more kind of like, hey, just come chat with people. Um, and that's something we're going to do going forward because I think that'll get us a whole different audience of people and hopefully start some really cool discussions that will lead to, to further collaboration. 
um, at those events, I kind of vis- you know visualize it as being you know different corners as being different different topics of conversation. People just go and chat and talk about the pain points they have with um, with CI/CD pipelines or you know pains they have with with trying to get specific bits of information or how people are building certain applications um, and sharing that knowledge. So I think those are probably the biggest things we're moving forward. Obviously, we have a ton of other stuff down the road, um, but we're trying to tackle those things first. So the one other thing that actually is is hugely important to us. Um, I think this is probably true for a ton of a ton of companies, especially the larger ones. Um, but discoverability is kind of a, a problem that's a, it's at the root of so many larger um, larger issues. So, um, and what I mean by discoverability is is what what of our I know our teams built. What are they currently working on? Um, what technology these you know technology excuse me are they using? Um, all these different questions that are that are very much. Um, things that should be easily discoverable, but for a lot of companies are not. Um, within GitHub Enterprise, we have hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of repos scattered across tons of orgs. And um, while GitHub search is, is really helpful, it's not really great for discovering things. And so we want to totally rebuild our, our internal um, inner source site and focus on making something that's incredibly discover, discoverable and, and easy to find things. So whether that means um, searching for good inner source projects that use XYZ language or um, finding a group of people that want to build XYZ thing, um, making all that stuff super easy to find. Um, because that, in my mind, that's the future of inner source is it, if we get to a point where people can, can immediately find what they're looking for, like somebody has already built this tool and I found it through, um, through the site, or these people have previously built something similar. I'm going to go reach out to them and get some, some support and then, um, make this, this project inner source afterwards, those types of things. But, you know, discoverability is, is critical for, um, for kind of bringing down the, the, the duplication of efforts and, and the siloed, um, knowledge. So. That's probably one of our, our absolutely biggest things for 2020 as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what you get done there. And I'd like to, rem- to remind you <laughs> to our next topic that one of the ways to get companies involved in open source is by earmarking the tools you build for inner source to be open sourced. Yep. So, right? so <laughs> totally because, agree. because it's not secret sauce. And as you saw, the, the inner source commons community will absolutely put anything you, you throw over the wall to good use, right? Like, like that everybody's trying to solve the same problems and we're all looking for the best and breed solutions. And I think, frankly, so are the big um, uh, code management systems. They're also all watching us to see what those solutions look like because they think that they plan to put them into their products. Absolutely. Our GitHub reps, just to kind of touch on that, they've been super helpful in trying to um, to help us leverage the platform as a whole to make things even better too, which is what they're doing in the open source community. So I'm excited excited to see how that kind of evolves as well. Yeah, they're big they're big supporters of InterSource because of course it's the whole value prop for GitHub Enterprise. So exactly, they, they want to see it happen. Um, okay, so let's talk about the path to open source because. Um, I think I shared with you before that we have some skeptics out there that uh, in the open source community that inner source is worth anybody's time because it doesn't actually contribute to more open source. But I've certainly seen the opposite, and and I think you have a story about that too. So tell me what you got. Absolutely. So um, open source for for enterprises is something that's that's kind of challenging. Um, obviously, bringing open source code in is something that, that a lot of our a lot of our different teams have done. Um, leaders see the the incredible value of it. Obviously, there's the um, you know the the challenging piece of of licensing and making sure that you avoid some of those um, viral licenses if you don't want to open source a project after you consume that code. 
Um, but the, the, the value of open source is something people can't argue against. It's, it's incredibly valuable. Um, as far as contributing, though, um, it's something, it's something that's, uh, you know, it's difficult to show the ROI for, and it's difficult to, um, to prioritize making something in or open source, excuse me. And at the end of the day, there's a lot of times when we'll, we'll have a project where it's like, is this a good fit? But at the end of the day, we're, you know, we're kind of scared that it could be a competitive advantage. It's something that we want, um, to keep to ourselves because it helps us, um, benefit the customer experience in a way that, that sets us aside as a competitor. Um, so that being said, the entire inner source flow internally has just absolutely shown us that open source is not something to be scared about. It's not something that is this difficult, you know, you know, you know, huge burden um, that can't be, uh, you know, figured out easily. Um, it's showed us that that collaborating through a, you know, a project without the human human interaction is absolutely doable. Um, we've had tons of success with just throwing a project into inner source and then having people find it and then start contributing to it without actually having meetings or, you know, phone calls or discussions or whatever. Um, so it's definitely shown us the way there. Um, so we're, we're just now starting to get into that space and we're, we're starting to kind of figure out what we can open source. And there's a lot of projects that we'd like to, um, the first one we've actually been been working on, which I'm super excited about, um, is focused on on uh, student hackathons. Really, so we we do a lot of student hackathons where we'll go and and help students have a good time. We'll you know obviously at the same time do some some shameless plugs with uh, recruitment and trying to find top talent because there are so many passionate kids that go to these events and um, they're looking for jobs. So it's a it's a great opportunity for us. Um, so we just open sourced a platform that helps. Um, help sponsors, you know, enterprise sponsors go to these events and, and sort of uh, manage the event and also, uh, you know, help recruit through the through the tool. And then also at the same time, um, it helps the judges um, for each of those companies identify which teams did the best job. So um, we're super excited about that being open source. And that's probably one of the things that I'm, I'm most looking forward to uh, contributing to next year. Great. Yeah, no, I think that you're right on about that. And I'm sure that you guys are going to find some interesting places to uh, to show up in open source. I'm interested uh, in your um, say, what you had to say about uh, recruitment, because I think that the kids that you can hire now kind of expect a, a level of transparency. And I think that a lot of times their beginning employment is sort of an exercise in depression as they're disillusioned by the reality of how big companies actually build stuff. And I think that that's going to become an imperative over time when this weird inflection point where the old guard is pretty comfortable working the way they work now. So it's a push to get them to change, but the kids who are coming in, that's, they expect that kind of work. Plus they need that kind of mentorship really to become effective employees. And so, um, you know, I think it will become a, a recruitment issue. Um, especially if we, there's this bubble that we're in continues because we're basically at full employment now in tech, right? So, um, Yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. Um, we definitely, obviously, students love open source projects. They're, they're constantly, you know, starring things on GitHub and finding projects that are, that are going to help them quickly build, you know, their school projects and stuff. Um, it is absolutely a component of recruitment for us. Um, the transparency thing, we try to be as open as possible about, you know, the way that we build software. And we're really excited about the way we build software. Our, our tech stack is amazing. Um, as someone that spends most of, you know, his day developing, I am incredibly excited about the tools we have. So, um it's always fun being able to kind of share that with students and say, Hey, like, you know, despite what you may think we're, you know, we've been around for forever, but we're, um, we're innovating, like we're, you know, a startup and, you know, within, within the company. So, um, 
but the the whole concept of open source and inner source has been such an exciting thing for students. Um, when we mentioned that we have a whole open, you know, our whole inner source community internally, um, and we share kind of what that looks like and what that means, like their eye is just you know widened and they're they're incredibly interested in, in learning more. Um, I think it gives them an opportunity to learn all sorts of new skills, which makes them more marketable. It makes them, um, hopefully, uh, it sets them on a track to finding what they're they're truly passionate about and helps them kind of narrow down what they want to do with their career as they um, grow and mature. So um, that's been really, really exciting from everyone we've talked to. Um, and for some of our recent hires, we've had, I mean, one of the, one of the four coordinators is, is um, you know, within, within American for Intersource is an absolute rock star. And that was one of the big things that, that helped him um, sort of realize that American was an awesome place to work. Um, he loves Intersource. He thinks it's definitely the future of, of how we deliver. And so he's been um, a huge advocate of that. And when we go to these events, that's, you know, students resonate with that as well. That's fabulous to hear. Okay, um, one, what's the one last thing that you'd like to say um, for this podcast, which should get pretty wide distribution? I think I know what it's going to be, but you, you could surprise me. <laughs> you know, I, I'll say I'll say there's two. I'm gonna I'm gonna squeeze two in. Um, one is absolutely come to the Source Commons events. Um, I think they're incredibly meaningful, and I had a great time last time. Not to mention that the destinations are pretty cool. So um, there's that, and then also American is hiring. So if you uh, if you're looking for a job and you're interested in in working for an innovative place, um, come check us out. So uh, or contribute to one of our open source projects. I know you have to plan early to um, to to. to... Uh, use the company travel, but you might want to look at the third week of, of January in uh, Bangalore because we're doing the first Intersource Commons Asia in that week in Bangalore. Yeah, no, I that is it's it's on my um, on my to do list to, to figure out whether I can cool. make that. Or we not. would love to um, have you talk the, there. <laughs> I think that the one later in the year is in Spain, if I recall correctly, and I will absolutely be there for that one. There's one in April in Spain, and then there'll be one in the fall in, in North America, awesome. maybe Canada, sounding well, like Canada. I can't Canada. wait for the next one. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, I really appreciate it. And uh, I, of course, wish you best of luck on your inner source journey. And, you know, if we can help in any way, definitely let us know. Um, there'll probably also be a track again at OSCON. Um, so Intersource Commons will have information about that CFB when it opens. So absolutely. Well, and thank you for all you've done to to help me and connect me with the right people that have that have already made a huge difference with um, Intersource and American. So, and obviously, thank you for having me. This has been super fun to get to chat about what we're what we're doing and what we're planning for the the future. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to seeing you again soon. Same here. All right. Bye bye.